thing is on. Can you guys hear me okay? Awesome. Good morning, Faith Family. How are we doing? Yeah, good morning. Good to see y'all. Uh, very thankful for the opportunity and privilege to stand before you today. Um, this is actually the first message I'll preach here as an ordained full-time pastor. It's kind of exciting. Um, I'd like to personally thank Pastor Jesse uh, for the opportunity and privilege to learn from you. Um, and as to what it means to be a faithful shepherd of the flock. So thank you for the time that you've invested. And I want to also let you know, uh, church family, how grateful my family and I are, are, are for you. Um, as we've sought to follow the Lord's calling on our lives. Um, it, it truly is an honor and a privilege uh, to serve here alongside of people that you know and love. And it's for reasons such as these and many more that we affectionately refer to you all as the faith family. For you all hold a special place in our heart. Now, before I begin... This message, I want to make it abundantly clear that when it comes to expounding on the Word of God, I am utterly dependent upon God's mercy. Uh, I freely confess that apart from the Spirit of God and the Word of God, I am of no use to the people of God. John 15.5 says that Christ is the vine and we are the branches. Apart from Him, we can do nothing. I wholeheartedly affirm that truth in my life. We are gathered here together this morning to exalt our Lord and risen Savior, Jesus Christ, and to magnify His holy name through corporate praise and worship. Therefore, if you do not leave here in awe of who God is or what He has done, or with a more heartfelt desire to worship Him as such, then you have either failed to pay attention to God's Word, or I have failed as a minister of the Gospel to express it. Either way, we both need Him to bless our efforts this morning. So before we go any further, let us pray. Pray with me, if you will. Holy Heavenly Father, You are the Creator and the Sustainer of everyone and everything. Though the earth give way, Your Word will never be moved. Help us as we turn to it this morning. Help us to embrace your truth and to rest in it down to our very souls. Lord, we confess that we have no righteousness apart from you. This is why we are so thankful for the substitutionary atoning death of your Son, which enables us to not only draw near to your throne, but to do so as sons and daughters. Father, as we turn to your word this morning, please use it to edify your bride. Wash us of our blemishes. Strengthen us where we are weak. Encourage us where we are weary and convict us for where we have gone astray. Empower us through your spirit that we may walk in the light that your truth brings. Thank you, God, for your precious promises to always be with us. Thank you, Father, for your unending and steadfast love, kindness, mercy, and grace. Thank you for your Son, which makes all of this possible. Please help me this morning by giving me a mouth to clearly speak your truth. Father, I ask for boldness, for clarity, and for conviction. Prepare our hearts, Father. Prepare our ears to hear it, our eyes to see it, and our hearts to embrace it. Empower us, Father, to live it out. It brings me comfort to know that you can use me in spite of me. 
for you know how to draw straight lines with crooked sticks. Father, may our time together today glorify your name, for it is in the mighty name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Opening question for you all this morning. If a world-renowned artist were to approach you, looking for advice as to how to paint a picture that captures just the last few years of our lives, regardless of the images that would be found on that page, what sort of colors would you suggest that they use? What sort of shades would they use in order to express the emotions that we have felt over these last two years? You know, with everything that we have gone through and everything that we are continuing to go through, what sort of advice would you give them when it comes to the contour of colors that should be used on that canvas? Would you tell them to use bright, shining colors that you might find in the sunrise? Or to use dark, distressing colors that you would find in a storm? I think it's safe to say that the majority of the world around us would look back on all the political tensions, the economic uncertainty, the rampant illness and suffering in the world, and would suggest that that artist choose darker shades to reflect the dark days that we have been living in. Not many would compare the last few years of our lives to a bright, sunshiny day. In fact, most of us probably feel as though we've been walking through a period of great darkness. You know, found within the first verse that we're going to be looking at today is a promise given by Jesus, stating that whoever follows him will not walk in darkness. But man, if we're honest, doesn't it seem as though at times he can lead us to some pretty dark places? I mean, think of, think of the Christians of old, countless ones who were imprisoned and beaten and even murdered for their faith. Consider the Christians of today, such as those living in Afghanistan, who at a moment's notice can have their entire families executed for simply bearing the name of Christ. How can we make sense of that? How can we be surrounded by an entire world of darkness and still not walk in it? Let's dive into the Word of God and see. If you have your Bible with you, and I hope you do, please open it up to John chapter 8. We'll be looking at verses 12 through 30. We're going to ask that the lamp illuminate the area around us so that we may truly see. So again, if you'd open up your Bibles to John 8, 12 through 30, and stand with me, if you will, in the honor of the reading of God's Word. Again, John 8, 12 through 30. The Word of the Lord. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, you are bearing witness about yourself and your testimony is not true. Jesus answered, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I come from and where I am going, but you do not know where I have come from or where I'm going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true, for it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law it is written that the testimony of two people is true. 
I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. They said to him, therefore, Where is your Father? Jesus answered, You know neither me nor my Father. If you knew me, you would know my Father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. So he said to them again, I am going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. So the Jews said, will he kill himself since he says where I'm going, you cannot come? He said to them, you are from below and I am from above. You are of this world and I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. So they said to him, who are you? And Jesus answered them, just what I have been telling you from the beginning. I have much to say about you and much to judge. But he who sent me is true. And I declare to the world what I have heard from him. They did not understand that he had been speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he and that I do nothing on my own authority but speak just as the Father has taught me. And He who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to Him. As He was saying these things, many believed in Him. May the, God, may the Lord add a blessing to His Word. Thank you. You may be seated. Look again, if you will, in verse 12. This powerful proclamation is where the title of today's message is derived from. Jesus is the life giving light of the world. The verse states that Jesus is the light of the world. Whoever follows him will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The answer given in verse 1, I believe if we grasp this truth here today, the rest of the truths will follow. But I hope that we can first understand the gravity of such a statement. You know, Jesus is telling his followers that no matter what dark situations they may find themselves in, even if they are to stare death straight in the face, they still won't be able to be in the darkness. But how is that possible? Well, for one, those that follow him have him with them. He will always be with us. Well, why would that change things? Jesus is the light of the world. No matter what situations we find ourselves in, if we have Him, we have light. Jesus is not only light that can... He is, not, he is the only light. Excuse me. Jesus is the only light that can scatter every darkness. Church, I hope that you can hear this. We can never be in darkness when we are with the light. If you have this light, no matter where you go or what you do, you will never walk in darkness. Check out what 1 John chapter 1, 5-7 says about this. This is the message we have heard from Him and proclaimed to you that God is light. In Him is no darkness at all. 
If we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness, we lie and we don't practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from our sin. It says, from all sin. So no dark circumstances could ever infiltrate a believer. For they have overcome the ultimate form of darkness. What is that? They have been cleansed from sin through the life-giving blood of the Lamb. You know, Jesus teaches this through His I am the light of the world statement. In my study of the text, I learned that He spoke these words in a very unique context. You know, being the master teacher that He was, Jesus spoke these words purposely on the last day of the Feast of Booths. Now, number one, what is that? And number two, why does that matter? Well, the Feast of Booths commemorated the 40-year journey of God's people through the wilderness as they were escaping the bondage of slavery to Egypt. As they traveled through the wilderness, they sought shelter in homemade structures known as booths. You can see that in Exodus 13 if you want to. Hence the name, Feast of Booths. Now, in Jesus' time, candles were used as the main part of the celebration to commemorate the pillar of fire which was to represent the very presence of God in the wilderness. That pillar of fire provided light necessary to lead God's people, His chosen people, out of the land of Egypt, through the wilderness, out of the land of darkness, and the bondage of slavery. So Jesus' I am the light of the world statement is significant on many levels. He is claiming that He is the light to which the pillar of fire pointed to in the days of Moses. You know, this leads us to the first point in today's message. That, that point being that Jesus is the light that leads us out of the slavery to darkness. You know, Jesus is not only the light that leads us out of the great darkness of slavery to Egypt, but He is also the light that leads us out of our great darkness and bondage to the slavery of sin. I hope we can grasp this this morning. Jesus Christ is the literal light of the world. He is the very presence of God in our wilderness. He has come to draw near His people and to lead us out of this bondage and slavery. But not only to the harsh pharaohs of the world, but also and most importantly, to our slavery, to darkness, and our bondage caused by sin. Don't miss this. Jesus is explicitly saying to the people in His own day that He is God. How do we know that Jesus is God? Well, for starters, Jesus has just said that He is the light of the world. Remember what we have just read in 1 John 1.5. God is light. In Him is no darkness at all. It is undeniable that Jesus claimed to be the light of the world. He's claiming to be God for even His I am statement. In the Greek, Ego Amy points back to his conversation with Moses and, and God at the burning bush. You can see that in Exodus chapter 3, 14, where Moses, out of fear that Pharaoh won't listen to him, he asks God, who should I tell Pharaoh, the ruler of Egypt sent me? And God's reply was this, you tell him the great I am who I am sent you. 
you know, perhaps amongst the other things God was doing, he was also reassuring Moses, you know, Pharaoh may be the ruler of Egypt, but I am the ruler of the heavens and the earth. I am king over the entire universe. Just as the fire didn't consume the bush it engulfed, I have no source of fuel for my power that I emit, for I am self-sufficient. I am all-powerful, and I am going to be with you. In other words, don't focus on who you are. Focus on who I am. You know, what's startling about this passage is that the ones who would be the most familiar with this text for which Jesus was referring to, coming from the Torah, the religious leaders of His day, the Pharisees as they were called, they didn't get it. Now sure, they probably understood the point that Jesus was trying to make, but they didn't believe Him. In fact, in seeking to defend the honor of God, while looking straight into the face of God, they called God a liar to His face. Let that sink in for a moment. This brings me to point number two. Jesus is the life-giving light of the world that not only leads us out of our darkness, but He also leads us into His truth. Look in verse 13, if you will. What is the Pharisees' response to Christ? You are bearing witness about yourself and your testimony is not true. Now, if you claim that someone is not speaking the truth, what are you really saying? You're calling them a liar. The people who claim to bring God the most honor through their so-called righteous works look straight into the face of the incarnate God and call Him a liar to His face. Consider this. Just verses earlier, if you back up in John 8, this is the same group who was calling for the public execution of a woman caught up in adultery. This is the same group who prides themselves in their ability to know God's law and keep God's law. This is a law that is so strict, if you even were to do yard work on the Sabbath, you were to be stoned. It takes the honor of God that seriously let alone insult God to His face. So how would Jesus respond to such a statement? You know, He has every single right to strike them down where they stand for the insults to His glory. But instead, He responds with grace. In, vor in verse 14, Jesus answered and said, Even if I do bear witness about Myself, My testimony is true. I know where I have come from and where I am going, but you do not know where I have come from or where I am going. He tells them that you judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true. For it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. Pay attention to these next three words. In your law. In your law it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself. And the Father who sent me bears witness about me. Even though Jesus was just called a liar, He still seeks to lead these people into the truth. In this passage alone that we're looking at today, in verses 12-30, through 30, over seven times, 
Jesus makes an allusion to his divinity. He is patient with them. He tells them over and over and over again that not only is he God, but also that what he is telling them is the truth. Christ patiently endures their unfounded accusations and spiritual blindness as he seeks to lead the lost out of their spiritual darkness and into the light of his truth. Christ lovingly warns them that they are the ones who are lost in darkness. He says, you don't know where I've come from, nor where I am going. Translation, you do not know me. You're not following me. And if you are following me, who is the light of the world, you would have the light with you. But since you're not, you're lost. You're lost in a wilderness surrounded by darkness. This is another heavy reality. Look in verse 17. Jesus called the so-called law they claim to follow, which by the way, they have taken from God's word, your law and not his own. In their pursuit of trying to perfectly obey God's law, they have twisted it in order to give them a false sense of security. And in doing so, they've missed the entire point of it. The law was given to us to show that we cannot keep it. But it was also given to us to to point us to the one who can. I feel as though Christ is compelling them at this point to stop trying to do this on your own. He patiently pleads with them to come to Him and He'll lead them out of their spiritual darkness that they may enter into His marvelous light. You know, Jesus even humors them. He says, in your law, you require two witnesses, right? Well, I've got two witnesses for you. I am the one who bears witness about me. I am the Father who sent me. Now, in that statement, Christ goes straight to the top of the authoritative hierarchical chain of command. Hebrews 6.13 reflects this. It says that when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater to swear by, he swore by himself. In Moody's commentary, he said that if God is God, then no other higher authority exists that can be appealed to in order to prove that he is who he says he is. For he alone is God. If there were another higher authority that were to exist, then they would be the ones who would God, not him. That's circular reasoning at its finest. You know, in other words, if God tells you that he is God, there is no one else who can be appealed to for a more weightier testimony. His word alone is supremely sufficient. Let me put it to you in one more way. You know, when we're having a conversation with God and we don't like the things that He's telling us, there is no, let me speak to your supervisor. But it's not just those two things that testify. God's Word tells us that all of Scripture points to this reality. Later on, when Christ was walking with His disciples on the road to Emmaus, He taught them how the law, the prophets, and the writings of Moses testify to who He is. See for yourself. Church, look all around you and consider this. The Psalms say that the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. Romans tells us that the invisible attributes of God, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So men 
are without excuse. For although we know of God, we don't honor God or give thanks to Him because of the futile thinking. And their foolish hearts were darkened. You know, this is why our darkened hearts desperately need to be enlightened with the life-giving light of the world. It doesn't get much clearer than verse 19. Look in verse 19, if you will. They said to him, therefore, where is your father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. For if you knew me, you would know my father also. How is that possible? What does he mean? Scripture tells us that Jesus and the Father are one. In Christ, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Christ is the exact imprint of His nature. Consider the ancient creed that the church said of long ago, we believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten and not made, one in being with the Father. Through Him all things were made. Church, this means that they are co-eternal, same in substance, equal in both power and glory. What's true of the one is true of the other. To look into the face of one is to see into the face of the other. To know the one is to know the other. It's for these statements that he's made that were to eventually lead him to the cross. But not just yet. There was still much work to be done. Look in verse 20. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him. Why were they going to arrest him? Because he's claiming to be God. But they didn't arrest him because his hour had not yet come. Oh, how blind we have to be. How blind men must be to be surrounded by an entire ocean of truth and still not to be able to find it. It's like being on a sinking ship out in the middle of the ocean and still not being able to find water. To be standing directly in front of the sun and still not to be able to see the light due to their own spiritual darkness. Maybe you're wondering, well, why can't they grasp it? Why can't they see? That's just it. They're not just blind. They're dead. Ephesians 2 teaches us in the first five verses that we were all dead in our sins and trespasses. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even while we were dead in our trespasses, He made us alive together with Christ. This is why we proclaim that we have been saved by grace. The good news offered to us in point three shows this truth. Jesus is the light of the world that transforms the dead to life. Back in John 8, starting in verse 21. So he said to them again, I am going away and you will seek me. And you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. So the Jews said to him, will he kill himself since he says where I am going you cannot come? 
He said to them, You are from below, and I am from above. You are of this world, and I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins. For unless you believe that I am He, you will die in your sins. So they said to Him, Who are you? And Jesus said, Just what I have been telling you from the beginning. I have much to say about you and much to judge. But He who sent me is true, and I declare to the world that I have heard from Him. They did not understand that He had been speaking to them about the Father. You know, that passage that we've just read has absolutely massive implications. Ironically enough, just days after seeking to put that adulterous woman to death for her sins, Jesus warns the Pharisees that they are the ones who are in danger of dying as a result of their own sins. Unless they repent and believe this truth, believe His truth, Jesus warns them that He's about to depart from their presence and with Him lies the only hope of escaping death. He is our only hope for salvation. He not only warns them over and over and over again that they are going to die in their sins, but continuing with this sinking ship analogy, Jesus lovingly extends His hand from a lifeboat as they are drowning in the sea of their own sinfulness. You know, in verse 24, I can all but imagine Jesus reaching out His hand, compelling them to grasp it before it's too late. That verse is life-changing. Unless you believe that I am He, you will die in your sins. Church, I hope you know that that's a call to the entire world. From Christ Himself saying, Embrace me for who I truly am, lest you likewise perish. You know, no matter how strong we think we are, we can't tread that water forever. You can't do it on your own. As a brother from this church once told me, when people try to work their way into heaven, it just sends them to hell tired. You know, the sad part is they still didn't get it. They still didn't grasp that lifeline being extended right in front of them. In verse 25, they continue to question, well, who are you? Jesus responds by saying, just what I have told you from the beginning. I am He. Well, who is He? I am who I am. Translation, I am the great I am. So many times in Scripture, Jesus gives us these statements. I am the bread of life. Feast on me and never hunger again. I am the living water. Drink of me and never thirst. You know, think back to the Israelites, right? In the wilderness. Jesus is saying, I am the rock which was struck and broken in order to bring forth living water. I am the manna from heaven which you ate that you may live. I am the light of the world. Come to me and no longer walk in darkness. Jesus says that I am the resurrection and the life. Come to me and you will escape death and live. Throughout the Gospels, Jesus has made it abundantly clear who He is. He is the only way to the Father. The only truth we can know. He is our only hope for salvation. The only path to eternal life. 
And that is not just a word for the Pharisees. That is a reality for us all. For unless we embrace that truth and believe in who He is, we will also die in our sins. But it doesn't have to be that way. Jesus offers us a light in the darkness. It's a light that sets us free from our slavery. He gives us a light that leads us into His truth. He shines on us a light that transforms our spiritual deadness into life. And He has given us all of those things in Himself. He is the light that breaks the chains of darkness. He is the truth that sets us free. He is the resurrection and the life that makes all of that possible. And if we have Him, then we have the life-giving light of the world. I pray you grasp that this morning. To die in your sins is no small issue. That means that you're going to forever exist in a perpetual state of darkness where you will spend eternity in torment of hell's flames where there's much weeping and gnashing of teeth. You know, the lies of this world try to belittle that. They try to belittle the sufferings which are to come. You know, Satan doesn't want you to consider the realities that await. I once heard a student a few years back at the passing of Stephen Hawkins. Do you remember him, the brilliant scientist? Supposed brilliant scientist. Back in 2018, they said, you know what, Mr. Leto, as many brilliant atheists that have passed away by now, they probably figured out a way to get AC and, and, and Wi-Fi in hell. You know, it's statements like that that attempt to turn hell into a joke. And it truly is no laughing matter. If anything, that just makes hell's flames all the more dangerous. It's, just, it's as if you were to tell me, a parent of two young boys, you know what, Leto, your kids have probably played with enough Nerf guns by now. Why not trusting them alone with a loaded Glock? The reality of hell is that no matter how many logs are in the fireplace, a fire is still a fire. And if anything, the addition of timber only serves to intensify its flames. Truth be told, hell isn't filled with brilliant men. Hell is filled with fools. For only a fool would say in their heart that there is no God, while being surrounded by all that He has made. This is why the fourth and final point is so vital for us to follow, coming from verses 28 through 30. Jesus said to them, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He. And that I do nothing on my own authority, but I speak just as the Father has taught me. And He who sent me is with me, and He has not left me alone. For I always do things that are pleasing to Him. And He was saying these things. As He was saying these things, many believed in Him. Jesus Christ is the life-giving light of the world. He is the light that frees us from our darkness and leads us into His truth. But He is also a light that must be lifted. A light that must shine forth. Remember, Jesus taught us in the Gospels that a lamp 
must not be hidden. He has commanded that this light must shine forth before men. Christ is our lighthouse in the ocean. His light scatters the darkness. It's powerful enough to cut through any storm of sin. He alone illuminates the path to the Father's house where we may dwell eternally secure. You know, Christ has done every single thing necessary for our salvation. Look in verse 29. Jesus has always done the things that are pleasing to God. And He has perfectly obeyed that law on your behalf. When He was lifted up on the cross, He bridged the gap that separated us from the Father. With His own body, wood, hammer, and nails, He fashioned for us a bridge that reaches all the way to heaven. And though men die as a result of their sin, yet we may live as a result of His righteousness. It is this word of truth that holds the power to bring the dead to life. It is this gospel that is the power of God and to salvation for everyone who believes. We know this because verse 30 affirms it. As Jesus spoke those very words, many believed in Him. Many people reached out their hands in faith to grasp that light that morning that He was offering them, thus saving them from eternal darkness of dying in their sin. You know, though the Pharisees had so many questions for Jesus, I just have one question left for you. To the unbelievers who may be hearing this message, how will you respond to this truth? In the words of C.S. Lewis, Jesus is either a liar, a lunatic, or He's Lord. Which one will you choose? God has made it abundantly clear unless you believe that Jesus Christ is who He says He is, you will die in your sins. The Bible tells us that it's appointed for a man to die once and after death comes judgment. Are you prepared for a guilty verdict? Are you content to await your eternal sentencing of hell's flames? Reach out your hand in faith this morning and ask the advocate, Jesus Christ, the righteous, to acquit you of all charges. He has never lost a case. May the words of Ephesians 5.14 resuscitate your soul. Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. To the believers in the room, this is a message of eternal implications. Will you heed your king's command to go and share it with the nations? Or will you be content to watch as those around you drowned in a sea of their own sin? As they sit in darkness, they await to know the one who has truly brought this life-giving light into the world. This is a light that must be lifted. It is a light that must be shared. Please tell them about Jesus. Jesus, the light who leads us out of our slavery to darkness 
Jesus the light who leads us into the freedom of His truth. Jesus the light that transforms the dead to life. Jesus the light that was lifted for the entire world to see. Jesus is the only light that scatters every darkness. May the church proudly proclaim the name of Jesus Christ and in so doing, draw a great multitude from every tribe, tongue, and nation to this life-giving light of the world. Let us pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. For it is a lamp into our feet and a light into our path. We thank You for Christ who came to us as the Word made flesh to dwell among us, Lord. Thank You that He is the light that illuminates the path to You. Father, please help us to see that light this morning. We cannot see it if we're blind. We need You to open up our eyes. Be with us in our wilderness, Lord. Help us to know that if You are with us, we will never walk in darkness. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.